a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. Hello, welcome to this edition of Global Business. I'm Xu Feng in Beijing. Coming up in the program. China and the EU will hold their first in-person meeting in four years. Both sides will exchange views on strategic issues critical to direction of relations. 63 countries have joined a pledge to cut cooling-related emissions at the UN Climate Conference in Dubai. The 2023 World 5G Convention has opened in Zhengzhou, which calls to promote the integration of digital economy and the real economy. The Chinese Foreign Ministry has announced the 24th China-EU summit will be held in Beijing on Thursday. President Xi Jinping will meet with Presidents of European Council Charles Michel and Presidents of the European Commission Ursula von der Leyen. Premier Li Qiang will jointly chair the summit with Michel and von der Leyen. Our reporter Zheng Chuying has more. From Chinese Foreign Ministry, the two leaders are uh, expected to discuss some strategic and global economic issues of common interest. And uh, for example, the market access issues are likely to be high on the agenda. Uh, we know that Beijing has complained many times of what it sees as unfair trade practices, uh, criticizing the EU's uh, probe into subsidies received by Chinese electric vehicles exporters and the EU's uh, planned carbon border adjustment mechanism as well, which began a trial phase in October and could uh, possibly by 2026 bring substantial new tariffs for Chinese exporters of carbon-intensive products. And according to a statement by the EU delegation to China, the 27-member bloc is expected to uh, emphasize the need for support of what it terms uh, the multilateral rules-based uh, international order and reaffirm uh, its de-risking and economic security stance. And according to some of the political and diplomatic uh, observers in China that I've spoken to, what's needed is for the two sides to explore in-depth issues like how they can more effectively manage differences and how to turn some of the competitive factors into a driving force for cooperation. So the summit is widely believed to be uh, focused on how China and the EU can forge a consensus on cooperation and bring about stabilization and forward movement in diplomatic relations, which is uh, in line with the benefits of people in both parts. The China-EU summit is set to take place from December 7th to 8th. This marks the first such event between the two sides in four years. China and EU were each other's second largest trading partners last year. Our reporter Yu Yang spoke to Jens Eklund, president of the European Union Chamber of Commerce in China, about his expectations for the summit. Mr. President, thank you so much for accepting our interview. So first, what are your expectations for the China-EU summit? First of all, I think it's fantastic that people are meeting again. Um, we should keep in mind that this is actually the second time this year that uh, von der Leyen is coming to China, which I think is great. Uh, we have seen also seven commissioners coming to China uh, over the past uh, seven, seven weeks. So what we are seeing really is a very, very high level of engagement from the European side. And I think this is something that we have been missing, that the two sides really are getting together, sitting down, talking about the things that, that really matters. Because there are issues in the bilateral relationship. Uh, and the best way to go about that is that you actually get in into a room together, you sit down, you express your concerns, you build the trust and you try to see if you can find solutions. Definitely. So what other topics do you think is going to top the agenda? I think trade is going to be a big part. Uh, we have seen during COVID uh, how chi uh, China's uh, trade surplus with uh, Europe had, had grown quite
quite quite significantly uh, their concerns uh, about how this is developing and see if, if there can be uh, ways that uh, maybe some amount of, of balance can be restored. I don't think anyone in Europe thinks that you will ever get to a point where it's one-to-one trade, but you could argue perhaps that it has come so far apart now that there needs to be sort of a consideration of what is at play here and if things can be done. Uh, if, if something needs to be looked at in, in, in terms of seeing if, if a more natural balance can be, for, be found. Understood. And there's some good news between us, of course. For example, China has issued a 15-day visa-free policy for five European countries. So how do you think this would help facilitate trade and, of course, people-to-people exchanges between the two sides? We think it's very positive and it is definitely one of these things that will contribute to enhance uh, people-to-people uh, Connections. I know that the five of six countries are EU countries. Unfortunately, I'm from Denmark. I hope maybe the next match we will, we will be included also because that will, of course, make it somewhat easier for my family to uh, to, to come to China and also, of course, for my colleagues in, in, in Denmark. But it's a very good beginning. And these are things that will have a fairly concrete and immediate uh, impact on, on the ability to, to engage. Well, this year we have observed a number of EU leaders visit to China. Those include the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen and French President Emmanuel Macron and EU Foreign Policy Chief Joseph Borrell. So what signals do you think have been sent out through these close contacts between Chinese and EU leaders? I think the most important signal is that the relationship is important to Europe. Europe wants to engage, Europe is looking for solutions, and Europe wants really to sit down with China and address things of, uh, of, of mutual concern. So I think this is very much, much a goodwill gesture, and, and I hope it has also been seen. Trade ties between China and European Union remain strong as China's electric vehicle exports surge on European demand. Data from LSEG data stream show that China's exports of new energy vehicles to Europe more than doubled year-on-year in the first seven months of this year. And the European Commission says China's share of EVs sold in Europe has risen to 8% this year. Officials say the share could reach 15% in 2025, with prices typically 20% below EU-made models. China's National Development and Reform Commission and the People's Government of Beijing Municipality jointly held a partnership dialogue on Tuesday to help promote grain development between China and Europe. Wang Mengjie reports. Green industry and green economy, they are not only believed to be new economic growth drivers, but also an important basis for interregional cooperation nowadays. Both China and Europe have adopted a green transformation agenda as an important part of their domestic development strategy. Meanwhile, the synergy between the two sides on green development continues to experience a steady rise. European companies are deeply involved in China and have made positive contributions to China's development. Today, both sides should promote green development with economic growth to deal with climate change. And dragged down by high inflation and weak demand, the European Commission lowered its economic growth forecast for the EU from 1% to 0.8% in 2023. That's one reason why European companies want to expand their presence in Chinese markets. Last year, we built our first digital native factory in Nanjing, with technological innovation emerging as the core driving force behind China's industrial growth. Amid technology cooperation with green industry development, 
Frictions are sometimes seen between the two sides. For example, the European Commission has launched an anti-subsidy probe into Chinese-made electric vehicles. Despite some obvious differences in the respective political and economic systems, cooperation between Europe and China remains essential. It is especially important that the two sides find a common language so that we can work together to address global challenges. With the Chinese President Xi Jinping due to meet visiting President of the European Council Xiao Michel and European Commission President Wu Suvong de Leung shortly in Beijing, hopes have been raised that cooperation remains central to bilateral ties. Long Mengjie, CGTN, Beijing. Trade between China and Europe has grown considerably over the past decade, and experts say this is likely to continue in the future. One big driver is the China-Europe freight train service and network connecting countries and continents. Yang Jinghao has more on the railway's key role in bringing the two sides closer together. This company in the northwestern Chinese city of Xi'an specializes in producing intelligent household appliances. Their products, including a dishwasher, are popular in European countries, including Germany, France, and Spain, and are mainly exported via the China-Europe Railway Express. Here at the Xi'an International Port, the Chang'an China-Europe freight train settled for the very first time in November 2013. Over the past decade, the service has completed over 20,000 trips, and the transport route has grown from 1 to 17. The operator says there have been continuous improvements in transport efficiency and an increasingly diverse range of goods. Initially, it took 15 to 18 days to reach Germany. Now it's been reduced to about 10 days. And in terms of safety, our freight trains are almost 100% safe and reliable. This has won a trust from a growing number of clients from both home and abroad. Xi'an is one of the five hub cities for the China-Europe Railway Express. Currently, the express connects more than 200 cities in 25 European countries. Data from China's railway department on Tuesday shows that from January to November, the cross-border service handled more than 16,000 trips, transporting more than 1.7 million TEUs of goods. The volume already exceeds the total amount for last year. Overseas operators say they're optimistic about the freight service future. We will uh, do everything that the railway stay um, uh, competitive in terms of rates, in terms of transit time, and um, in terms of uh, quality service. So the industry will still search for such a solution and bring their goods by railway uh, between uh, all uh, countries on the Eurasian corridor. The country's top economic planners also proposed concrete ideas to accelerate the high-quality development of the express. We will jointly promote the informatization, digitalization, and intelligent construction of the express and actively explore and develop new models such as trains for people-to-people -people exchanges and tourism. The official says more environmentally friendly technologies will also be applied to the route paving the way for greener travel. Yang Jinghao, CGTN, Xi'an, Shanxi Province. 63 countries have pledged a joint, a jointly to cut cooling-related emissions at the UN Climate Conference in Dubai. Tuesday's talks also focus on the second draft agreement of the conference and fossil fuels. Our reporter Red Cup Judge reports. 
Tuesday at COP28 in Dubai revolved around the themes of energy and industry, just transition and indigenous people. We saw about 60 countries coming together and signing uh, the global cooling pledge in which they say they will reduce their cooling emissions, especially when compared to the levels emitted in 2022. Under the pledge, the countries say they will reduce their cooling-related emissions by at least 68% by 2050 compared to 2022 levels. Environmentalists say it's a tough task given that climate change means hotter temperatures and hence an increased need for cooling systems. With installed cooling capacity set to triple by 2050, cooling emissions are expected to surge between 4.4 billion and 6.1 billion metric tons of carbon dioxide, equivalent by 2050. Another announcement came uh, from a high-level roundtable on hydrogen today where 39 countries have endorsed the Hydrogen Declaration of Intent to pursue mutual recognition of hydrogen certification schemes. Another development was the UAE joining the Powering Past Coal Alliance, the coalition of national and sub-national governments, uh, businesses and organizations who are working together to advance the transition from unabated coal power generation to clean energy. But much of the conversation today centered around uh, the second draft of what could be the COP28 agreement and the language that will be used around fossil fuels. The first option in the draft text was listed as an orderly and just phase out of fossil fuels. The second call for accelerating efforts towards phasing out of unabated fossil fuels. However, two groups of countries are likely to be opposed to this. The developing world which still needs cheaper fossil fuels uh, to make sure that their economies and their people progress and also countries like the UAE itself, the oil producers of the world uh, whose economies and fortunes depend on how much oil they're able to drill and produce and sell year after year. Environmentalists say COP28 will be remembered by the position the agreement finally takes on the phasing out of fossil fuels. Radhika Bajaj, CGTN, Dubai. Now, for more updates on today's agenda, let's cross to our reporter Adele Al Makaruki in Dubai. Adele, take us through today's highlights. Thank you. Well, um, today um, the, con the discussions continue. As we've heard uh, Ratika says in her um, um, input just a few minutes ago, there is still a massive indecision between participants here about how to decide on crucial issues. There are uh, still differences about how to term the phasing out of fossil fuel. Will it be ever mentioned? Will it be mentioned um, in terms of um, a radical change or a, an optional change? But in any case, all the documents that we've been seeing and the negotiations that are still ongoing now, there hasn't been any clear-cut define of a timeline for phasing out of fossil fuels. So even all the agreements and negotiations that may include or may not include uh, phasing out of fossil fuel, none of which are concrete and none of which has specific timeline for any country. And therefore, it comes um, to just confirm how divided the world is over this issue. Many countries do not believe that phasing out of fossil fuel is a key issue. They believe that capturing carbon and providing other um, uh, emission capture 
technologies is what the, uh, the, the, the world generally means. And this comes also after Saudi Arabia a couple of days ago said that it will not approve any document that includes phasing out of fossil fuel. So in general, it is a heated debate. The same goes for um, uh, using coal, uh, will it be a, f a complete phase out or a, a transitional uh, phase out for uh, coal? Uh, methane emissions have more or less an agreement in terms of milestones between the corporations. Overall, this is just the final day of negotiations before COP enters a one-day break where negotiations will be happening, not officially, there are no official uh, meetings on the COP agenda, but at least people will try to gather, check back uh, with their governments and try to finalize um, the, the documents that should be produced on December 12th. More and more ministers from across the world are flying into Dubai to join these heated negotiations and debates over climate issues as the COP28 administration tries to finalize a groundbreaking document that should get all the world on board a specific track to save the planet. Thank you so much for your report. That's our reporter Adel Al-Mahoroupi in Dubai. According to a recent report by the International Energy Agency, the transition towards a clean energy economy has gained significant momentum, particularly in Asia. The report highlights that the proportion of electricity generated by water nuclear power in Asia witnessed an increase of 8 percentage points, reaching 32 percent in the total electricity output between 2015 and 2022. Furthermore, the IEA report emphasizes that Asian economies are actively accelerating their efforts to reduce reliance of fossil fuels. The head of the IEA com uh, commended China for its pioneering work in the development of solar and wind energy as well as new energy vehicles. Additionally, China has successfully reduced the price of clean energy equipment, further contributing to the process in addition of the clean energy sources. For more insights on China's clean energy development, we are joined by Shen Yiyang, Director of the Inclusive Development Research Center. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Shen. China is leading the world in terms of clean energy capacity and technology. But at the same time, the country still relies heavily on coal, over 55% in its power demand. What's the long-term outlook for China's energy structure? Well, thank you for having me. I think uh, I think the the use of fossil fuel like coal and crude oil will still be you know happening for the next decade. But I think the proportion, like the share of renewable energy, will be growing higher and higher in China. Definitely, after China uh, Chinese government have this uh, 2060 target of carbon neutral, I think a lot of change we have seen in China. You know, in almost every sector there's green transition uh, roadmap and also the market responds very, very well. Besides those uh, target and market movement, we can also see the uh, some new technology like, uh, like CCUS, carbon capture utilization, storage. Uh, such technology used to be considered as rich countries uh, option, but now in China it's also going on uh, very fast. I think in uh, in uh, within few years we will see the world largest CCS CCUS project happening, and also the carbon free, carbon footprint. Uh, you know this uh, this kind of you know ac activities almost happening in all the major industry. 
I think uh, if, uh, you know, I'm very optimistic if this trend going on, and I think China's, you know, green energy utilization and low carbon development is just a matter of time. Right. It's interesting that this COP28 is taking place in Dubai, where the regional economy has relied on crude oil exports for years. Are these oil exporting countries serious about transforming to clean energy themselves? Well, the easy answer is uh, yes. You know, uh, I have you know observed that in the past few years, uh, renewable energy and uh, clean energy has been developed very fast in the uh, Middle East. For example, this uh, uh, Saudi Arabia have this uh, 2030 green energy uh, green initiative, and uh, also their you know install capacity for renewable energy also growing. I think just uh, I think since uh, last year to now, uh, it's already tripled. You know for the installed capacity of, uh, of uh, uh, renewable energy. So I think still, you know, uh, eight uh, gigawatts is under construction. In UAE, there's also a lot of progress. Even in Qatar, there's a, a lot of, you know, uh, new projects, new initiative on renewable energy. I think in this region, you know, people are really, and government and private sector are really seriously considering this uh, renewable energy, you know, options. That's our guest, Mr. Shen Yang, Director of the Inclusive Development Research Center. The 2023 World 5G Convention has opened in Zhengzhou, capital of Henan province in central China. The three-day exhibition will focus on innovative technology and the integration of digital technology and the real economy. It consists of a main forum for the opening ceremony, 12 parallel forums, exhibitions and activities highlighting 5G applications cases. First held in Beijing 2019, the World 5G Convention is the world's first international convention in the 5G field. It's been four years since 5G technology was put into commercial use in China, and the country has now emerged as the world's largest 5G market. A report from the GSMA, the world's leading private mobile industry association, it says that 5G connections in China accounted for more than 60% of the global total as of the end of last year. Zhang Shixuan looks at how and why 5G systems are growing so quickly here. 5G is not new, but developers are continuing to come up with new applications. Welcome to Shanghai. Chinese tech giant Huawei has just released a new 5G telephone function that will allow callers to use quick translations if the person on the other end of the call speaks a different language. I want to book a taxi. The person answering the phone can get a real-time translation on their phone screen, and both sides can create customized cartoon avatars. Based on traditional video and audio phone calls, we've developed many new special services, such as video animation, screen illumination and real-time translation. The system now can support translation of more than 200 languages. Mobile Industry Association GSMA estimates that by 2025, China will become the world's first market to have 1 billion 5G connections. Last week, the association signed an initiative called Open Gateway with three Chinese telecom carriers, inviting them to join its member networks and allow tech developers to create applications that will be shared globally. We now have 30 mobile operators, including China Mobile, China Telecom, and China Unicom. We are thrilled. This is going to be absolutely fantastically exciting to launch APIs that are for business to use our 5G networks. It's a sharing that gives the power and the, the strength of this initiative. 5G, of course, in China is a fantastic success story. 
it is by far the fastest developed technology at all times. 5G is, is here to stay for a long time, targeting more business-to-business -business segments. The organization estimates that this year, 5G data is close to taking up 60% of Shanghai's total network traffic. Huawei last week proposed the concept of a 5.5G era which would protect telecom operators' previous investment in 5G while also improving network performance by 10 times. The company said it will launch a complete set of commercial 5.5G network equipment in 2024. Zhang Shuxuan, ICS for CGTN, Shanghai. For more on 5G and global telecommunication industry developments, let's cross to our guest Andy Mock, Senior Research Fellow at Center for China and Globalization, CCG. Thank you for joining us, Andy. As we travel around Age. the world, yeah, we noticed that uh, some 5G networks are already available in most cities, gateway cities. What's your take on the global development of 5G networks? Well, I think it's certainly true, Junfeng, that uh, 5G really is taking off around the world. But we should add a little bit of nuance to this. So there are uh, about 1 billion uh, 5G users around the world, but uh, 600 million of them roughly are in China. Mm. So we can see this as glass half full. There's plenty of opportunities for growth around the world. And in fact, we, were, we just heard in the package about GSMA's uh, statistics. Uh, here's an interesting one. In 2023, uh, 30 countries uh, will launch 5G services, including uh, India and Brazil. So we can expect to see uh, rapid growth globally uh, as a result of this. So I believe by 2025, we will have 2 billion 5G users around the world. Good to know that. When I visited a smartphone factory in Shenzhen last month, the factory manager told me that all the manufacturing facilities were connected to a 5G network to enable applications to improve efficiency and product quality and also uh, manage the whole supply chain. So all the machines are connected by 5G. But I guess not every factory in China can afford such a system, you know, 5G power production line, AI powered production line. How much room for development do you think there is in manufacturing, supply chain management of 5G? Oh, there's tremendous upside, June. But one thing I forgot to mention is that why uh, has consumer adoption of 5G been so successful in China? One of the most important uh, criteria is the availability of high-quality, affordable 5G equipment. And we know some countries around the world have banned Huawei, which is a leader in this space. So I think this has ramifications for consumers, but for industrial uses as well. So when we look at the opportunities for um, 5G-enabled IoT, or Internet of Things, I think you're exactly right that smart manufacturing is vital, uh, will be a very important area that we'll see a lot of development in China. Related to that is uh, supply chain logistics management, as well as even at the retail level. And another aspect of this is energy management. Mm. So I think that the future is very, very bright for 5G-enabled uh, stuff, <laughs> IoT, Internet of Things. Uh, and of course, I think we'll see China, uh, one of the most rapid adopters here again because of the availability of affordable, high-quality equipment as well as supportive government policies. That's Andy Mock. Thank you, Jim. We will wrap up this edition of Global Business. I'm Jim Thanks for watching.